0: Hey, happy Easter everybody, welcome to church today, it's so good to see you, and I'd like you to take your Bibles and go to John's Gospel, chapter number 20, as we look at the story of the resurrection this morning. Uh, Easter Sunday, of course, is the Sunday where we stop and pause and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, uh, of course, as Christians, uh, we meet on Sunday, every Sunday, and it is a testimony of To the fact that Jesus Christ did in fact rise from the dead on the first day of the week. In the Jewish culture that would have been on Sunday. And so although we do celebrate this every Sunday it is obviously a a special treat to mark this time off every spring as a special remembrance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And I want to encourage you, if you're, you're new, and I know there are many of you that are new today, we want to welcome you and thank you for joining us today. Right in the seat back pocket in front of you, there is a, a connection card. You can take that connection card and just fill out as much information as you're comfortable sharing. If you head back at the back of the auditorium after the service, there'll be lots of people back there to greet you at the Next step st- uh, station. If you're just giving that card, they have a gift to give to you as a thank you for coming and being a part of River City Baptist Church uh, today. And we sure hope that it won't be your last time. We hope that you found encouragement through the worship already and now through the preaching of the word. And I want to just take a quick moment and congratulate everybody for being here at 10 o'clock. Good job, okay? Uh, look, I gotta tell you, you make a change like that. And you're just nervous, but you guys did uh, exceptional today. Getting here, this is the new service time going forward, and of course, today at 11:30 we start our brand new Spanish-speaking service at River City. We're so excited, and uh, we're thankful. And so if you want to like stick around a little bit, peek your head in there, uh, that's what I'm going to do. Uh, it's going to be right here in our next building over to the uh, east of where we are right now. And so we'll be praying for Pastor Hector and Cheryl, his family, their team. As, as soon as we're done here, they're going to flip around and they're going to open up their doors and they're going to start uh, the first ever Spanish-speaking service of River City Baptist Church on Easter Sunday. I think it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, I heard a story one time of a... Uh, a French philosopher who had a friend who was an English writer by the name of Thomas Carlyle. Who was a very outspoken uh, Christian and wrote about his faith. And in private conversation, these two men would argue back and forth uh, uh, about their faith. And and uh, this French philosopher would give Thomas Carlyle a really hard time. And on one occasion... Uh, he said to Thomas, he said, he said, that Christianity is just no good. He said, I'll tell you what, I think I'm just going to go and I'm just going to start my own religion. And Thomas Carlyle said, I think that's a great idea. He said, so all you need to do to start a new religion is this. Go and die on a cross, get buried in a tomb, and rise from the dead three days later. If you do that, uh, you'll be well on your way to starting a brand new faith. And that is exactly what happened when Jesus Christ rose from the dead as a literal, factual, and historical account that I want to read to you today from John's Gospel, chapter number 20. I'm actually going to begin my reading in verse number 11, and then I'm going to back up, and we're going to kind of look at this whole chapter from just a big-picture perspective today. But I want to start in verses 11 through 18. If you'll follow along, this is John the Apostle and his account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in verse 11, but Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Notice that's past tense there. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. And did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir... If you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples, that she had seen the Lord, and that he had spoken these things to her. Amen. This is God's word. I want to speak to you this morning on this subject. The tomb is still empty. The tomb is still empty. On December 7th, 1941, a series of warnings was sent out through a number of soldiers or uh, sailors that were checking both radar and on their scouts of the Pacific Ocean that day. On at least two or three different accounts, there were observations of both radar activity that seemed to demonstrate a large number of enemy attacking planes, which was ignored uh, as a glitch in the radar. Another captain, patrolling the waters outside of the harbor, spotted what he believed to be an enemy submarine, alerting those in charge for some time about the possibility of enemy, enemy vessels breaching harbor security, he followed established procedures and wired in a warning that an enemy had been sighted. Again, for the second and most significant time, this message was disbelieved by the commander, suggesting to those who put in their warning that there needed to be more, quote-unquote, confirmation before any defensive action would be taken place. Well, of course you know the rest is history. You know, I don't know who you are today, and I don't know where you are on your relationship to God or what you think about faith or Christianity. But I can say this, I've met my fair share of people who would say, I haven't believed yet, I haven't come to Christ yet, I'm just not sure about all this. In other words, they're saying, I need more confirmation." whether it's a fact about the resurrection or whether it's some truth about the Bible they don't understand or in some cases uh, their own personal life and experience has caused them to be skeptical about some area of Christianity and and maybe for one reason or the other they have found themselves standing uh, 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 at an arm's distance between God. Saying for one reason or the other, I'm not sure I believe that, I'm not ready to believe that, I don't know if I want to believe that. And I want to say to you this morning that The resurrection of Jesus Christ really is the bottom line deal-sealed truth that somebody should be able to look at objectively and factually, historically, and certainly spiritually and say to themselves, if that really did happen, and it did, then I am going to be one who follows that man, Jesus Christ, all the way to a grave that ultimately I will never occupy myself. The truth of the matter is the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the defining moment of human history, and it is certainly the defining characteristic of Christianity. There is no other faith in the world that proclaims that its leader rose from the dead and gives eternal life to all that would believe on him. There are many tombs that we celebrate for religious leaders, many Taj Mahal and others that are uh, gone to every year and people travel there and they, they are there literally to visit a tomb filled with the bones of their quote unquote beloved religious leader. But I'm here to tell you that the tomb of the Lord Jesus Christ is not famous for who is there, but it's famous for who is not there. Because the one who was there is not there any longer and Jesus Christ is alive alive today and is alive forevermore. And because he is, he has the ability to give you the eternal life that he alone possesses and has the power to give to us through faith in his sacrifice and his resurrection. I want to walk through this story with you and I want to share with you four truths about the resurrection that ought to change our lives. Number 1, I want you to see this in the first 10 verses that the resurrection is a confirmed fact. The resurrection is a confirmed fact. Uh, in verse 1, verse 5, verse 6, and verse 8, we see Mary Magdalene, Peter, and John as the first people on the scene to physically and literally affirm that Jesus's body was no longer in the tomb. Uh, as you probably have heard the story, the, the, the tomb was sealed by a group of Roman soldiers, meaning they rolled a stone over the, over the mouth or the opening of the tomb. Now, if you're not familiar with biblical history, you might not be familiar with these kinds of tombs. I mean, when we bury somebody, we quite literally put them down in the ground. But in Bible days, um, uh, tombs were called sepulchres. Sometimes you'll see that word in the Bible. and Basically, a sepulcher was a tomb, but it was hewn out of a rocky edge so it's kind of like a cave really is is, is maybe a better way to look at it and so over these caves and the opening of these caves they would take big large stones that could be rolled and moved and that's how they would secure a tomb And the Bible tells us that they they did roll a stone over the grave of Jesus. And then then Rome was so concerned about uh, all the theories that Jesus was going to be stolen or that Jesus didn't really die. They actually put a squadron of soldiers out in front of it uh, to make sure that nobody tampered with the evidence as it were. But the Bible tells us that on the morning that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, the angels rolled that stone out of the way... And therefore, the tomb of Jesus had a clear uh, and obvious entry into so that people could walk in and literally see the fact that where they buried Jesus just three days before, it was no longer occupied by the body of Jesus, but it was, in fact, empty. Now, folks, listen. This is one of the many literal and empirical evidences that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That is, that the tomb that he was buried in is still, to this day, very, very, very empty. In fact, uh, I'm heading there in November, and I'm going to touch my feet down in that garden myself, and I'm looking forward to sticking my head right in that same tomb that Jesus Christ was laid in. And I'll come back in November and affirm to you that still 2,000 years later, nothing is in that tomb. That tomb is empty. Now, folks, i got to tell you, whether or not uh, you are a skeptic, a non-believer, there's all kinds of ways that you could be about this. But I will tell you, you can study history, you can study facts, you can study uh, accounts from scripture, and you will find that according to just normal evidence that you would use in the court of law, uh, as one Harvard professor said, I quote, according to the laws of legal evidence used in courts of law, there is more evidence for the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ than just about any other event in history. The bottom line is, it is a confirmed fact. It was confirmed by three people here in John chapter number 20. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 5, he was seen of Peter, then of the 12, and then he was seen about 500 brethren at once. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine in the court of law trying to verify that Jesus Christ actually rose from the dead, and you had not one, not two, not three, not 12, but 500 and about 20 people flood a courtroom and be willing to take an oath and stand and testify and say, you know what? We actually saw him alive from the dead. Please notice this. The resurrection was not a spiritual resurrection. The resurrection was not like a ghost or an apparition of Jesus. The resurrection was a literal, physical rising of the body of Jesus Christ from the dead as the once and for all testimony of the power of God and the effectiveness of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Please do not make a mistake about it. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is... A confirmed fact. Number two, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a comforting reality. It is a comforting reality. Now, we move to verse 11, which is the text that I read before you. And in verse 11 through 18, Jesus is going to have one of the many post-resurrection conversations that he's going to have. In this case, he's going to have a conversation with a woman by the name of Magdalene. Now, Mary Magdalene, this is where she was from. Mary Magdalene's history is one of demon possession and a life of radical sin. I don't know if you've watched any of the show, The Chosen, but I think they do an amazing job depicting the life of Mary Magdalene as a demon-possessed woman that no one could help. In fact, she was, I believe, possessed of seven different devils. Her life was literally a train wreck and nobody could help her. And then along comes Jesus and delivers her from her demon possession gives her eternal life, changes her life. She becomes a dedicated follower of Jesus Christ. And now, as many other disciples, at least at this point, their hopes have been dashed by the death of a loved one. Now, folks, when you read this encounter in verses 11 through 18, you see loss, you see question, you see grief, you see brokenness, you see an absence of answers, And you see her running around looking for anybody and anyone that could comfort her and possibly give her an answer for what has actually taken place. This looks no different than when I attend or officiate a funeral. When I attend or officiate a funeral, I see a lot of these things present. I see a lot of questions, I see a lot of grief, I see a lot of brokenness, I see a lot of struggle, sometimes even agony. And Jesus is going to come to this precious woman whose life has been shattered, her hopes have been dashed, and the resurrection, watch this, the resurrection is going to breathe life back into this broken woman, this woman who needed some help, she needed some good news, she needed uh, something to confirm what she believed and where she was going with her life, and Jesus steps in, he says, why are you weeping? It's me, Mary. Mary. I am alive, and we go from verse number 11, where she's weeping and broken and questioning everything, to verse 18, where she is scrambled out of the garden and ran to the other disciples, and look at what she says there, I have seen the Lord. You see, God came to her in her darkest and deepest moment and brought comfort to her heart that was filled with sorrow and loneliness. Now I am quite sure, no doubt, that every single person in this room in some way or the other has experienced what Mary experienced. There can be no doubt that with rare exception in this room, every single person has stood by the casket of someone that you love. Or at minimum, you have heard of somebody close to you, close to your family... And it may have been sudden, it may have been ongoing, I was just talking to somebody just a few minutes before the service, just came back from a funeral, their beloved brother died of cancer, it may have been cancer, it may have been an accident. As I told you a few weeks ago, I just returned from a funeral from a 19-year-old boy that was hit just outside of a Christian college, here to a study a pastoral ministry, and his family was literally heartbroken, I was there. It's a devastating and, and, and awful feeling, but can I, can I say this to you today? The only comfort that anybody could ever come out of death or loss is knowing that the person that I have lost, I will be reunited with one day. The fact that Jesus Christ through the resurrection has brought life and hope to where there was only death and the absence of hope. And the Lord Jesus Christ here brings this comforting reality to Mary. In fact, uh, on another occasion in John chapter 11 that we, we actually read here just a few moments ago, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And then here's the question. Do you believe this? Now, folks, i got to tell you, if you're here today and you are without Jesus Christ, I honestly do not have a lot of hope for you if something tragic happened to you or somebody that you love because outside of Jesus Christ, there is no life beyond this life. There's only death and then eternal death to follow. But folks, for those of us that are here that know Jesus Christ as our Savior, it is actually not death to die. What happens here when a Christian dies is we merely change addresses. We go from this temporary home that was much like a mobile home that was just here, that was just temporary, that just was to get us through this journey To our permanent home that John 14 says Jesus is preparing a mansion for us right here and right now. And nobody enjoys death and nobody enjoys loss. But can I tell you, there is a way to receive some sort of comfort in our losses knowing that Jesus is alive. And knowing that those who believe in him are also alive with him. Can I ask you a question this morning? When you think of the certain prospect of your death date... What do you think about that? Now, I hate to be the bearer of bad news on such a lovely day. But I just received statistics this morning. Brand new statistics. Statistics that rolled out today. And I could tell you that it is as fresh... As this service started at 10 o'clock, that's how real and fresh these statistics are. Sometimes you share statistics, and they're like 10 years old, and they lose, they kind of lose their, their, their effect, but I've got some that just rolled off the press this morning. I double-checked today before the service just so that I could be absolutely clear with everybody, okay? So here's the statistic. You have a 100% chance of dying. You have a 0% chance of escaping death. If you're here today, you know it, I know it, we all know it. And we can do all kinds of stuff to try to delay it or prevent it. Eat all kinds of weird stuff, take all kinds of vitamins, you know, You know. visit as many doctors. and Do whatever you want to do and that's fine. You can make it better, you can make it healthier, you might even, so to speak, be able to make it longer. But at the end of the day... It is appointed unto men once to die and after this the judgment. There is a date, a date that we are going to have with God. It is our death date. And I'm telling you, friend, after that is the judgment. So, so the time that God has given you to prepare for what is to come in eternity is this little space called life. Now my question for you is this. When you look there at the certainty of your own death one day, do you have the assurance in your heart that when you die, absent in this body, is going to be immediately present with the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, if you do not have that assurance, and don't kid yourself, you're only hurting yourself. If right down here inside your heart, There is a struggle. There is a question mark. There is a a little bit of being torn. I'm not sure about that. Then, friend, can I encourage you? Today, before you leave this room, would you open up your heart like the front door of your house and welcome Jesus Christ into your life? I mean, you can do that here. You can do that now. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And you can at least leave today, not with the absence of sorrow for the rest of your life, but at least with the assurance that when I face death, I have nothing to fear. Number one, it is a confirmed fact. Number two, it is a comforting reality. Number three, verses 19 through 23, it is a consuming motive. It is a consuming motive. It says here in verse number 19, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled. Now notice this phrase here, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. I mentioned earlier that the disciples started meeting on the first day of the week as it was a celebration of the resurrection. And it demonstrates there that they were already meeting on Sunday, the first day of the week in the Jewish culture. But notice they were locked inside of their building, their place of worship, because they were afraid of the Jews. Now, How were they afraid of the Jews? Well, very obviously, their Savior was just crucified on a cross a few days before. You'd be scared too. You'd be terrified if all the things that they said were going to happen, happened. And and you've yet to affirm that Jesus is alive. And now, Jesus is going to be raised from the dead. He's going to show up in the middle of this gathering. And he's going to speak to his disciples. The Bible says, uh, at the end of verse number 20. Or actually, let me, see, let me read verse 20. When he, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Now, Meaning, he was verifying to them this is who he is. Meaning, in his hands, as we learned last week, there were nails put. And Jesus is saying, look at the, look at the scars in my hand. And then in his side, there was a soldier that, that, that rammed a spear up in his side. It pierced his heart. And it was the confirmation that Jesus was actually dead. And so, so Jesus says, hey guys, look look right here. This is me. Look here, this is me, this is actually me. And then the end of the verse says this the disciples were glad when they saw, or excuse me, when they saw the Lord. So now look what Jesus does in verse 21. In verse 21, Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. This is John's version of what we call the Great Commission, meaning John tells his disciples, From this moment forward, you are going to be sent. You are going to preach the gospel just like I was sent to you. You are going to be sent to the world to proclaim the gospel. And so he gives them a formal commission. And then notice this. He's going to to breathe on them, verse 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. So not only does he commission them, but he empowers them. And look at what he says here. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now don't let that confuse you. You can easily say, oh yeah, there, there's where men are given the prerogative to forgive sins. No, 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 Jesus makes that clear in other places. The only person that can forgive sins is God. Listen very carefully. No man, no priest, nobody at all for that matter can forgive you of your sins. The only person that can forgive you of your sins is God alone. So what does it mean when he says, I'm giving you the authority to do this? Well, obviously the apostles were proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ. This is like in Matthew chapter 16 where Jesus said to Peter, I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom. It wasn't that there was anything inherently good about Peter. It was that as Peter went out and preached the message of forgiveness, you had the authority to tell people your sins are forgiven in the name of Christ. And you have the authority to tell people, if you don't come to Christ, your sins are not forgiven. And so what was he doing? He was commissioning them and giving them the authority and the power to accomplish their witness. Now, this has well been worn by pastors teaching how significant the resurrection is. When you look at John's gospel, okay, and you see that in, and at the beginning, these people are fearful of their lives, They are literally afraid. They're locked up in a room. They're ready to quit. Peter has gone back to fishing. These guys are scattered everywhere, not preaching the gospel. And then the Bible says this. The Bible says that once Jesus rose from the dead and these men received the power of the Holy Spirit of God, they shot out of Jerusalem like a cannon and literally turn the world upside down for the message of Jesus Christ. What I'm saying is this, one of the most powerful proclamations of the reality of the resurrection is what it did to the disciples. Do you realize that 11 out of the 12 disciples literally died in martyrdom to spread the gospel and that the entire world from Jerusalem on the eastern seaboard of the Mediterranean Sea all the way to the Roman Empire, all the way to Rome itself? Literally, that, that entire span of region was completely transformed by a bunch of men who had been transformed from cowards to preachers all through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know about you guys, if you're parents, you'll probably catch this, but I, I have an easy way to mo- motivate my children uh, to do their chores, Okay? Especially my little ones, Blake and Ashley. And they're, they're just real little. And, and my son, Brent, is learning baseball right now. And so we'll go right over here to these fields. And, and we'll get a bucket of, uh, bucket of baseballs. And I'll start hitting them ground balls. He's learning how to play shortstop. And so we'll hit, I, we have 20, I think it's like 25 baseballs. And we'll, we'll hit him one right after another so he can work on his fielding. Then we'll gather all the balls back together. And then I'll hit him 25 more. And he throws them to first base. One right after another 25 times. We do that about 100, 150 times in a workout. And, uh, and so I bring Blake and Ashley with me. And they think this is awesome. Now, they're not playing baseball. They're, they're running around, picking flowers, whatever they're doing. And then all of a sudden, I say, hey, guys, 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 hey, hey, come here, come here, come here, come here. Blake and Ashley, guys, come here, come here, come here, come here. And they come running over to me, say, hey, I'll give you both 25 cents each to go get all those balls. <laughs> they're gone. <laughs> and over the course, over the course of a single workout... They earn about $1.25 to $1.50. Now, listen, when you are four and five, you think you just hit the jackpot. You ought to see them, man. I mean, they will fire out of there like crazy, and they will not stop or slow down. And they'll, of course, they're all sweaty, and it's hot out there. They'll want to go sit in the dugout, you know, and and tug on some water while I go through exercise number two. I go through series number two, and I call them again. 25 cents, guys, boom, they're there again. And they will do this relentlessly all day for $1.25. Let me ask you a question. What if I told every one of you, In this room, that I will give you $1,000 every time this week you told somebody about Jesus. You know what you would do. You would be calling in sick for work, (laughs) and you'd be standing outside of Walmart. (laughs) Just nonsense. Wouldn't you? I mean, come on. I think we all understand certain things motivate us to do what we're supposed to do. All I'm saying to you, church, you shouldn't need a $1,000 a pop to have an interest in telling somebody about Jesus. He's alive. That's the consuming motive that we all have. We get to proclaim his forgiveness of sins. We get to preach hope and eternal life through Jesus Christ. And so we have a consuming motive. And finally... Uh, This morning, we have a confident assurance. The last part of this text begins in verse number 24. And it's another encounter. You've got got his encounter with Mary. You've got his encounter with Peter. You've got his encounter with all the disciples assembled. And now in verse number 24, Thomas missed church that night. And so Thomas missed out on the first appearance of Jesus Christ. And look what it says, verse 24. Now Thomas called the twin. One of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see the, this is some of y'all right here. Unless I see the hands on the print of his nails, put my finger in the print of his nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. We call him Doubting Thomas, right? After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, and being shut, and, uh, uh, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst of them and said, Peace into you. And then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here. Look at my hands. Reach your hand. You know, by the way, Jesus wasn't with Thomas when he said that, but he knew he said that. So as soon as he appears, and I'm being a little facetious, I don't think think Jesus mocked him at all. I think it was more like this Hey, Thomas, come on. I know you were wondering about this, so come on over, buddy. Look at this. You know what that was? Confident assurance. It's real. This is real. And then, this is amazing, so after he assures Thomas, look at what John does. Look at what John does in verse 30. Now, we're not studying the gospel of John as a whole, but I want you to see this. And truly, this is John now providing commentary. <clears throat> and truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciple, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing you might have life through his name. Here's a confidence assurance Not only for Thomas, but for all of us. I, John says, wrote this message down. These seven miracles over 21 chapters, proving over and over again who Jesus was, culminating with his own resurrection. He said, I wrote this so that you would believe. Now I want you to look at yourself and your life right now. And I want you to to take your name, just mentally, and I want you to write your name inside the letter O, inside the word you. And I want you to personalize it. I wrote down these things so Brian would believe. I wrote down these things so Bill would believe, so Matt would believe. I wrote down these things so Dan would believe. I wrote down these things so you, you. folks, it's for you. It's not for somebody else. It's not for the good guys, the religious guys. I've had people walk in this church all the time. Say, man, I, I look. Look, I'm just not very religious. It doesn't matter. it's for you. In fact, I'd say, it's absolutely for you. Whether you grew up in church, didn't grow up in church. Whether this is your first time in church. Whether you have had every excuse in the world why you've rejected At this point as an adult. I hardly meet any adult in Jacksonville, Florida that didn't grow up in church. A lot of times they grow up in church and they heard it all, but they didn't believe it. And now they're living their lives. And now they circle back on an occasion like this and they wonder... Hey, I turned my back on God when I was a teenager. I wonder if he's turned his back on me. And the answer is definitively no. Doesn't matter if you're the biggest hypocrite in town. Doesn't matter if you have a a list of wrongs in your past that are embarrassing to you, that are shameful, make you feel with guilt. That's what I'm saying to you today. Jesus came for you. He came for that guilt. He came for that shame. He came for that brokenness. He came for that aloneness. He came for those doubts, for those questions. This whole thing was written for you. That you might believe. Folks, because Jesus is alive from the dead, we have confident assurances of the forgiveness of sins, of a guarantee of a home in heaven, of the fact that right here, right now, Christ will be with us. Christ will empower us. Christ will be for us. He is on your side. He wants you to be saved. And Folks, I come to you with this, this final appeal. Would you accept Christ as your Savior? The Bible is so clear on what it means to be saved. Listen very carefully. It's very clear. It says here, I wrote these things that you might, here's a simple word, believe. John's gospel uses the word believe more than any other gospel. In fact, think of the other time John wrote it. One of the more familiar ones, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and whosoever what? Believes. I want you to know this. I want you to hear me say this this morning. This is not about you turning over a new leaf. This is not through you go, like, This is not about you going through a recovery program. This is not about you trying to, you know, improve your church attendance so it all shakes out in the end. This isn't about you trying to be a better dad, better husband, stop cheating at work, or whatever you do. That, that's not what this is about. This is about will you believe on the only one who can do anything about where you are today? Believe. How do you do that? Well, the Bible is very clear about that too. If we will confess. With our mouth, the Lord Jesus, and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. With the heart, man believes, and with the mouth, confession is made. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's you. You're a whosoever. You're a whosoever. You say, there's no way this message is, is for me. Listen, if you're here and you got ears to hear and you're breathing air in your lungs today, I'm here to tell you, this message is for you. Don't think it's for somebody better than you. Don't think it's for somebody that dressed up for Easter and you did it. Don't think about that at all. Think about this. It's for you. And right here, right now, I'm asking you and encouraging you, will you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? And I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that right here and right now. So, would you right now, as we close, just bow your head for a word of prayer. Would you do that with me? I'm getting ready to extend to you what I call an invitation. It's an invitation to believe. I have given you the message, the Bible says, be a hearer of the word and a doer of the word. Hey, listen, it's it's one thing for me to give a message... But somebody's got to receive it. And and I'm certain that in a group of this size, of all the different people from all the different places, surely there's one person in here. and, And during this message, you have thought to yourself, man, he's talking to me. He is talking to me. And the truth is, I was. And maybe you've thought to yourself this whole message, I need that. I need to believe that. I need to accept that. Well, I want to give you a chance to do that right now. As you are bowed before the Lord, I want to give you the opportunity to right there where you are, believe in Jesus and receive him into your life. And the way the Bible describes that is by calling, asking, confessing. You might say it like this, praying, praying. And I believe a person enters into a relationship with God simply when they ask him for forgiveness and to be their savior. And that's a promise you can take all the way to heaven, friend. So right here, right now, I'm going to give you a chance to do that. While you're in your seat right now, I'm going to pray a prayer out loud. And I'm going to ask you, if you would like to accept Jesus into your life today, right here, right now, to just pray that prayer right here, right now, in your heart. You can pray it out loud if you want to, and that's that's certainly no problem. But I want you to know there's nothing magical about this prayer. It's just a reflection of what you are saying to God. And if you in your heart, or, or verbally, will just repeat this prayer to God, and your heart is sincere, and you want to be saved today, you want to know Jesus, you want to be saved, you want to know that you're going to heaven, I believe God will take God will take you, he will forgive you this moment, give you eternal life, and your life could be forever changed from this moment forward. So right here, right now, would you be willing, right now, where you're seated, just say these words to God, just repeat after me, dear God, I know I'm a sinner, I cannot save myself, But I believe in Jesus. I believe He died and He rose again. Today I accept Him as my only Savior. Thank you for loving me. Help me never to be ashamed of you. If you just prayed that prayer, and you meant it, and you're glad you did, I want to be the first to say to you, welcome to the family of God. What a phenomenal decision that you have made. And, and I want to help you in every way I possibly can. Listen, please listen very carefully. I am not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to make you come forward. None of that. But I at least want to be able to get something into your hands, a gift for you and I'd just like to know who you are and myself or maybe one of our leaders maybe we'll catch you on the way out and just get that free gift to you as a way of our saying welcome to the family of God and we want to be here to help you and we want you to know River City Baptist Church will be beside you every step of the way and help you in any way we can but we'd love to know who you are so we can rejoice with you so I wonder across this building this morning who would say, preacher, I prayed that prayer, I meant it, and I am glad that I did. And I am glad to say to you today that I just asked Jesus to be my Savior. If that's you, would you, nobody else look at just me. Would you be willing to let me know who you are right now by just slipping up your hand? Would you do that? Just slip that hand right up. Just real quick, just slip your hand up. Good, amen, good, praise the Lord. Who else? Just slip that hand right up, and then right back down, good, good. Who else today? Just slip your hand right up. Preacher, that was me. I prayed that prayer a minute. I'm so glad that I did. And I just want you to know, be praying for me. Help me any way you can. We'd love that. Who else? Right now, just slip that hand right up. Then right back down. Preacher, I prayed that prayer a minute. I'm glad I did. We rejoice with those who have. And let's pray and ask God to help us as we move on in our journey of following him. God, we thank you that you're alive from the dead. We're thankful for this great crowd this morning. We're thankful for those who have accepted Christ as Savior today. And now we rejoice with them. And Lord, our heart is to help them and be beside of them and pray with them and encourage their faith. And God, I I pray that as we head into the Spanish church, Lord, that you'll do the same thing again. Fill it up, Lord. Bring people to yourself. Thank you for all that you are doing. We love you. We praise you and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.